This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hey everybody, welcome to this week's Roundup. So, as you've probably heard, there's the whole Patreon scandal thing going on where they changed their pricing structure, so very in many cases, the people who donate are getting screwed over, and it really sucks, and it sucks for everybody. So, um, you know, I put up a poll on my Patreon page if people want me to leave or just stay. The general consensus is people that just don't want to deal with switching to another platform, so people just didn't want to stay, but definitely vote, please, because I want to make sure to go where you guys want to go. I mean, it's definitely about making it easier for everybody, so I don't want to, I certainly don't want to have anybody overcharged. I mean, that, that really gets me, right? Like, especially when you have such a good thing going where, you know, people get to donate to creators that they're a fan of, and the creators get to do things that they would never be able to do without people supporting them, and now everybody gets pissed. So, they uh, they failed big with this one. And, you know, ideas like this very often start with uh, good intentions. Like, I could imagine they were trying to think of different ways to combat the problem where people on the third or fourth of the month will join someone's Patreon and then cancel on the 29th and then rejoin again on the next third or fourth, thereby getting, you know, all the perks for free but never paying. Uh, I can't believe that's actually a thing, by the way, but it is. Uh, There's a lot of little things like that that I imagined they were trying to find solutions to. And then it doesn't, I mean, it wouldn't take a wild imagination to put everything together and think of how that boardroom meeting must have gone, where the fat cats were probably like, well, if we do this way, we could make this much more money for... So, whatever. Um, Let's hope they change it. Let's hope they fix the issue, because there have been big companies that screwed up and then backpedaled after the backlash. So, we'll see. But uh, the bottom line is, please vote, um, and if you want me to switch to a different platform, I am out, absolutely gone. Uh, Or if you just want to leave well enough alone, please vote for that too, so I don't end up losing half my Patreons one way or the other. But anyway, sorry for all that crap. Uh, You know, it's it's a big uproar on Twitter and everything, so it's certainly not just people in the retro gaming world getting affected by this. Some good news, though, is the winner of that awesome high-def NES that was donated by GameTech just posted pictures. Uh, He was out of the country, so, um, you know, it took a little while to get there, but it looks like everything showed up and is working perfectly. So uh, thanks again to everybody and, uh, you know, to everybody, to the Patreons that helped make this thing happen, uh, to all those people who are donating great things to give away, and of course, even the people that won those things. I really hope everybody gets at least a little bit of enjoyment out of them. But anyway, let's jump right into the news. First up is some pretty big news from the Neo SD team. They just announced the Super SD System 3, which is a device that plugs into the back of a PC engine and does a whole bunch of different things. So first of all, it acts as a ROM cart, so it plays all of the PC Engine and TurboGrafx-16 card games. 
Then it also acts as an optical drive emulator, so you could play the CD games on it. And then, of course, your CD saves are saved to that SD card, so you don't have to worry about any other weird solution. But then it also plays the expansion games, the ones that you needed that extra hardware for. So essentially, it plays every game that could possibly be played on one of those systems, which that in alone is pretty awesome. The other thing it does is have RGB and composite video out, which is great, but... The bad news is it uses a Genesis 2 connector, which there's a bunch of technical reasons why that might or might not be a problem, and we'll really just have to wait and see. But basically, um, the Genesis console doesn't output correct RGB signals. It requires components in the cable in order to make that signal the, the proper output. So if you were to make this device to be work 100% with the Genesis 2 cable, it would also have to output improper RGB signals. So the only two choices they have are um, have a pass-through cable with nothing in it, where they'd have to put a very big label on it that says, for use with the Super SD System 3 only, not for use with the Genesis. Or uh, they would have to conform this device to that Genesis output and try to get everything working properly. So... Um, you know, I would have to test one, and uh, I would have to also put it on a scope to verify it to make sure that the output is going to be good. But I am starting a comparison video about the different TurboGrafx output formats. So um, depending on how long it's going to take to get a hold of one of these, I might actually be able to, uh, to add that to the test and put it side by side with the rest of them so you could see how this video output holds up to things like the AV driver or Voltar's board or those 7314 and the cable solutions that people have been seeing. So uh, hopefully I'll be able to get one of these. The only other thing that, uh, that I did see on their page is it says it's compatible with... Um, SD cards up to 32 gigabytes. Uh, that doesn't. That's not a thing. As long as it's formatted FAT32, you could use 128, 256, whatever. Um, so that way, if you want to start loading a lot of those CD games on it, you can. So uh, yeah, I, I don't know about. I don't know. A couple little mistakes here and there. They also show a picture of a Genesis One pinout where it says the AV multi out with RGB. So <laughs> minor complaints, of course. It's just simply a, a picture on their website, but. Um, hopefully all this stuff will get straightened out, and most importantly, I'm going to test myself as soon as I can in order to see. Next, someone sent in a video that the Seabass posted last year that compares a one-chip to a two-chip SNES side-by-side, -side. and I'm just recently getting into video comparisons. Uh, it's infinitely more complicated and time-consuming than doing picture comparisons, and very often it depends on the display that you're watching it on, the resolution that you're watching it in, in order to actually see the differences, whereas a picture side-by-side -side usually is a pretty good uh, representation. But it's a cool video, and if people want to take a look, um, you know, it's an just another example of why the one chips are much better looking. And there are still people out there trying to argue for two chips, and I'm pretty sure that they're, most of them are trolling. Most of them. Um, there are a few glitches in the one chips, um, but just overall, most Model 2 chips are really terrible, and uh, I just I can't see any RGB perfectionist using one over a one chip. Uh, if you're a freak like me and the Super Nintendo is your favorite console, buy one of each. Um, just buy a stock two chip SNES for 40 bucks console only, and then, you know, buy the full one chip, or a mini, and then you have the best of both worlds. So, anyway, I just thought I'd pass it along because uh, it's a very cool and well done video. 
Next, Greg Collins just posted a cool video on how to pin his GC plug. So basically, Greg Collins is Colin Gall on Twitter and on Thingverse, I believe. And he's the guy that's been doing those 3D printed designs for the GameCube stuff. And he did the 3D print design for the GC plug, which is the external GC video. Um, so sorry for all those acronyms and everything. But uh, uh, basically, he in this video, he shows how to take a PCI connector, pull the pins out, insert them in this, and then that's how you would solder it onto the actual circuit board that has the GC video on it. So uh, I'm really glad he did this video for a couple of reasons. First, all the do-it-yourselfers would be able to see the proper way to do it but also so people could see how it's not very easy and it's not for the faint of heart. It's not like a SNES mod, which even a beginner could do pretty easily in under two hours, uh, and an expert could do it in you know, a few minutes. This is not easy. It's time-consuming, it's tedious, uh, and if, you know, if you're used to doing these things, by all means, go for it. But, I mean, this is why I love do-it-yourself stuff, and this is why I love open source. I know a lot of fellow nerds that would take a look at that video and go, that would look like a fun project for a Saturday. So, totally cool, um, and I, I obviously love stuff like this. But uh, your average consumer, the, uh, your average person who just wants an HDMI output is going to want to buy one of these pre-made. So just make sure that you have one with uh, the correct plug in it and not the sandwich design. And hopefully we'll see something uh, more of commercially manufactured from badass consoles eventually. This next thing isn't retro gaming related, but I had to share it with you guys because it made me laugh out loud. Renee from DB Electronics got one of those scam calls where they call you and say there's a big problem with your computer. You know, you need to fix it right now. And then they try to get you to install software and all that crap. But they definitely called the wrong person because Renee just sat there messing with them the entire time and got the whole thing on video. So if you've ever been the IT support person for your family who's had to deal with this stuff or get calls about this, then you will find it very funny. Uh, if you haven't, then you probably won't and you might want to skip it. But I have had to be IT support for my family since I was like 12. So uh, this definitely made me laugh out loud a whole bunch of times, um, especially, especially the surprise ending, which, you know, we could all see this coming, especially if you know Renee. But uh, if you're a nerd, you're going to like this one. Next, a board was just released that allows you to get RGB output from a Commodore 128. So I guess the Commodore 128 natively outputs CGA, which is RGBI, uh, and this just converts it to RGB. Um, so I've actually never even seen a Commodore 128 in person, but I do know that the Commodore 64 is one of those nagging last, uh, one of the last few that can't be RGB modded yet. And most likely will never be. So, uh, you know, hey, at least this is one step closer if you're a Commodore fan. And thanks to Anton for sending it in. Zelda Breath of the Wild just got new downloadable content. This one's called The Champion's Ballad. Um, and it adds con uh, more costumes. Link is able to ride a motorcycle and some other stuff, I guess. But um, I guess that's cool. Uh, I downloaded and tried the last downloadable content. Actually, big shout out to Goodwill Hunter for sending me his, uh, his free download code. And I have mixed feelings about it, because on the one hand, it was mostly stuff that I wouldn't care about, especially like those grueling uh, endurance level that they added. But on the other hand, I, you know, I wouldn't have I played that stuff anyway, so I'm really glad they didn't make it part of the game. 
my biggest complaint about Skyward Sword was there were so many parts of the game that just seemed like they said, well, we need to add more hours to the game, so let's make you lose all your items, let's make you collect stuff, let's... And it just, it annoyed me. Whereas, adding this as an option in Breath of the Wild is one of the reasons I really liked the game. Uh, I did finally beat it. The only complaint I really have uh, overall was that there was a few things... Um, I like maybe a little bit of a spoiler here if you haven't beaten it yet, but there's one attack that you need to, to beat Ganon, and you don't need it for the entire rest of the game. So I guess it's one of the things you probably learn in the you know first hour or two of the game, and then I'd never used it again. So uh, it was kind of annoying because then I'd have to I'd have to leave the boss fight, go back, you know, play some more shrines, relearn it, and then go back to that. So I think some people really love that about the game. Other people probably didn't. But overall, it's my personal favorite of the 3D Zeldas. But I I mean, it's a very big gap for me between like A Link to the Past and the, some of the Game Boy versions, and then the 3D version. I just, it's the style of game I like. That top-down Zelda game, to me, is amazing. So, uh, just, you know, sorry for ranting about Zelda. Just figured I'd pass, the, uh, pass that along. And since we just talked about a game on a newer console, I might as well talk about another one. I just played through and beat Ori in the Blind Forest, the definitive edition for Xbox One, and I absolutely loved it. And uh, I'm pretty sure I'm very late to the game. In fact, most people watching this or, or listening have probably already even played it and maybe just even beaten it. Uh, so I really am definitely not up to date on the newer games. But it's what you would call a Metroidvania. And I really hate that term because that just sounds like something a hipster would put together to sound trendy. Like Benefer or all those things where they're putting people's names together. Blech. Makes me vomit. But... Uh, it is a good way to describe it in that, you know, it's a side-scrolling game, and then you have save points and all that stuff, and it's kind of sort of an open world, but I really loved it, and for whatever reason, the first hour, I, I didn't get into it immediately, and because I had bought it, uh, I figured, alright, you know, let me just try it, I bought it, let me put at least an hour or two into it, and then at some point after the first hour, after the dialogue passed through and everything, it just... It felt like I was playing a really amazing Super Nintendo game. You know, it's a it's a world that I wanted to explore. It wasn't like so many of these other games I've played where it's like, oh, can we just get to the boss or something? Like, it made me want to walk around. And exactly like Super Metroid did back in the day, it made me want to sit there for ten minutes and just try to get an extra little power-up just because it seemed challenging and fun. But I absolutely loved it. Um, and unlike Breath of the Wild, a lot of the abilities that you use they really lay it out in a way where I think it's the perfect way to do it for a game like that. So if you get a new ability, like, you know, you get the, the drinking absinthe ability at one point in the game, uh, it then makes you figure out a way to do that um, immediately afterwards, so you really have to learn it. And then for the rest of the game, you really need to utilize that to get to the different... Uh, different areas. There's one or two things that you don't need at all. Like I think the dash I didn't really I barely even used, maybe once or twice. But that's like a one button push thing. I'm talking about actual abilities where you have to really learn gameplay and stuff. And I thought it was brilliantly done. Uh and I just I believe there's a sequel coming out soon too. Or maybe not soon, but so yeah, I mean I'm sorry to, to waste a couple of minutes of retro gaming podcast talking about a brand new game that most of you have probably already played. But coming from somebody that's such a grumpy old man, and I really just want to go back and play Super Metroid and the good fan hacks and stuff like that, 
I can honestly say that this is one of the best games I've played in years. And the fact that, I mean, I took my time walking around and kind of exploring, so I beat it in about 13 hours. And that's the perfect time frame, in my opinion, for for me personally. A 60-hour game, I lose interest really quick. I don't really get into it. Um, Something like this is awesome. So I think, I don't know if I liked it better than Axiom Verge. I think I'm going to repurchase that on the Switch when it comes out soon. Uh, and really give that a try again, because I loved that game as well. But it's, at the very least, right up there. So if you're a Super Metroid fan or a Metroidvania fan, I hate that word, uh, definitely give this thing a try, because uh, it's really cool, and I loved it, and I think anybody who's a fan of those games would too. Some people on the SMS Power Forums have found something neat about Fantasy Zone. I guess one of the 3DS remakes included FM sound for one of the releases, which is pretty neat because I'm pretty sure that version of the game didn't have it on the original. So uh, they're trying to extract the ROM and get it playable on original hardware that supports the FM sound chip. So this is about as nerdy as it gets. You would have to take this ROM, throw it on a ROM cart, put it on original hardware that's either the MK2000 or an SMS that has the FM chip uh, mod from Tim Worthington or one of the other ways to get it. I mean, this is like, this is my wheelhouse right here. This is as weird and crazy and nerdy as it gets with this stuff. And as you can imagine, I love it. So I'll keep everybody posted on this. If they definitely get it working, I'll find some way to creatively share the ROM so we don't have to worry about anything, any legal issues. But uh, definitely something worth playing, especially if you have all the original hardware that can do it, or at the very least, just worth, you know, just worth checking out on an emulator. And of course, if you like the game, buy it on the 3DS. <laughs> Next, Capcom just announced the Street Fighter 30th Anniversary Edition, which is due out in May of this year for all of the major consoles, Switch, PS4, Xbox One, and PC. And it looks like all of the original Street Fighter 2 games with Alpha and Street Fighter 3, as well as the original Street Fighter. Uh, Notably missing is Street Fighter 2, the movie, the game, which I'm assuming is, you know, movie licensing issues. But basically, it's all of the great Street Fighter games in one collection, with extra features added, net play, I believe. And it seems neat, um, but what I'm really curious about is how serious are they taking this? Is it just a fun, nostalgic thing with extra features added? Uh, Is it just a slimy cash grab, like a lot of my friends seem to think it is? Um, Or did they actually put the work into reducing emulation input lag so it could be used on a competitive level? Uh, I think a lot of the the real hardcore Street Fighter gamers that I've met over the past few years uh, would not want a solution that has a bunch of lag in it. So I'm really interested to see uh, if they actually took the time or if this really is more of a toy than something that people could sit down and have competitions on. But either way, uh, I'm really hoping this will spark people's interests back in the original Street Fighter games. Because a lot of people that are out of the loop that maybe don't know about any of the channels like mine or other uh, other people's, don't know about places like iFix Arcade or, or any of the tournaments that are out there like Too Old, Too Furious... Um, If you're out of the loop and you see this game and you buy it and play it, it might spark your interest enough to go look for things like this. So who knows, maybe as an after effect, all of the the places that I've been to that I constantly talk about um, and all of the people that I know that are heavily ingrained in this will end up benefiting because if more people gain interest in the current arcade tournaments using original CRT hardware and all the things I always rant and rave about, 
maybe that will end up being a great uh, benefit of having this out, renewing the interest in these games. So who knows? But I guess we'll see in May when it comes out and we could all put it through its paces. Atari just announced that their new Atari Box console is going up for pre-order on December 14th, tomorrow if you're watching this the day it's released. Um, but there's no final release date and no info on any games. Uh, so you have to pre-order something on Faith and the Atari name alone. Uh, the last time uh, in my uh, youth that I remember putting Faith into an Atari product to see what was going to come out of it was the Jaguar. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I have zero faith in this thing. I really hope I'm wrong. I, I hope this is an awesome new way for games to be released. I hope this is a cool new product. Uh, I have. I am definitely not pre-ordering it until I see what you know what they have to offer. But just my opinion. And speaking of Atari, they just announced a limited time only thirty dollar discount on their Atari speaker hat. That's right, no longer one twenty nine, but now ninety nine dollars for an Atari branded hat with a speaker in it, so you could walk and listen to your music or podcasts as you go. Um, I think this is ridiculous, but if anybody would do me the honor of, if you buy one of these or are able to test one out, uh, pump this podcast through the hat and selfie yourself doing it, uh, I would absolutely love that more than anything. Uh, I don't know. I think this is absolutely stupid. Uh, but who knows? I've been wrong many, many times before. Maybe this is the coolest new trend, uh, and all of the cool kids are going to be wearing Atari hats, pumping their tunes through the brim. Clearly, I'm not one of the cool kids, so maybe I got this all wrong, but this looks really stupid to me. Comment down below if you disagree. Another new Genesis game just popped up on Kickstarter that looks like it's about to be funded. Probably will be by the time this airs. It's called Xenocrisis, and it's a top-down arcade-style shooter, um, which claims they take inspiration from classic games like Smash TV or Contra. Um, you know, it's a pretty, uh, sounds like a pretty cool game. Um, I always want to try these things before I buy them, which is hard because with Kickstarter, you have to, you know, put your money up first, but I'll certainly watch the project and hopefully it turns out to be another great Genesis game. Woozle has just updated his website with more information on his 720p Game Boy Advance HDMI project. Uh, he's looking for a, a good solid name for this as well, so I don't have to keep repeating that over and over every time I talk about it. But um, anybody that's interested, definitely take a look at the webpage because its screenshots and description have everything that you'd need to know about it before it goes up for sale. It looks like he's going to do a preliminary run in early 2018 and then kind of go from there and see what happens. But I'm very excited about it because my favorite way to play those old handheld games is actually on a TV. Uh, well, I know that sounds strange, but I just I would love to kick back on a couch and just play it on a big screen and everything. So I'm very excited to, to, to test it. Uh, as soon as I get one, I'll do a review of it, and I'll keep everybody updated as to its progress. And lastly, I believe the next Retro Roundtable podcast will be next Thursday the 21st, and they're usually at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, barring problems with Nick's computers. Uh, but if anybody's interested, please subscribe, and uh, we don't post anything on there, so if you subscribe, um, you're not going to get a million notifications with, with random videos. The only thing that we do on that channel is this podcast, so I strongly recommend subscribing and then hitting that little bell next to it so you get instant notification when we go live, because very often somebody gets the date wrong when they announce it, and... Uh, 
usually it's you know it, it it's also very often something that we decide just a few days beforehand so definitely subscribe and hit the bell and that way more people can uh, participate um we do have a lot of great people who are in the live chat some trolls as always but nothing you could do about it but uh it's you know while i do love this podcast and i love doing the interviews the live stuff definitely has a totally different feel to it uh people in the chat can participate and kind of do this along with us and it, you know it's always funny for me to have a couple of beers and, and hang out with friends even though it's virtually over the internet whatever uh so come join us uh try live if your time zone allows and if at all possible, always have a couple of beers with us, because who knows, maybe maybe all of our dumb jokes will be funnier. Now on to the Q&As. First up, I got a whole bunch of requests in that Super HD Retron review that I should check the Old School Classic 2, which I guess is something similar on another clone console, but it does SNES and NES uh, through HDMI and composite. Um, to be honest, I really don't have any interest in clone consoles. I tried the first one because I was genuinely curious how they were going to do it. I tried this one because I love SNES and because I was hoping maybe I could branch out a little bit more. But that was a big fail, so no. Um, to be honest, most of these things just don't apply to me or, or most of you guys at all. Um, you know, people who try to strive to get the best out of their consoles don't like these things. But if anybody really wants me to try it, um, if you want to mail yours to me, I'll do some of the tests. But way more important than that, in all of these videos, I explain how I'm doing the test so that you could repeat it yourself. And just like all good nerds, I want people to verify all of my testing. And I'm totally uh, open and excited if somebody says I'm wrong, because that means, you know, we're just learning together. I never have a problem being wrong. I just, uh, you know, I really want other people to do this stuff with me so that we could all have a voice together. Because the bottom line is, and I'm not bitching and moaning, it's just the, the truth is, me putting out a video that gets 2,000 views that explains exactly why these consoles are not good and for really could be, they had the potential to be but aren't, does nothing. You know, they have, we all know those YouTubers out there that get something new, like a USB stick, and say, hey, you know, this is the greatest thing, I just, you know, I just got it sent for free, so I'm going to talk good things about it, so they'll send me more good things for free. And that gets 50,000 views, and it's fucking useless. And, you know, I'm not bitching, I'm just, it's the truth. You know, we need more people to go on and say why these things aren't good. Otherwise, uh, your average your average person who's sort of into it will never know. But these companies need to get the feedback, right? If somebody gets 50,000 views on a video that says this thing's great and a bunch of people buy it, why would the company that is making it think there's any reason to change the product at all? We as retro gamers who actually care about this stuff need to put forth the effort so that the companies genuinely know, hey, it's a piece of shit, but it didn't have to be. So that Super Retron HD, number one without a doubt, if that up upscaling chip had processed 240p as progressive and not interlaced, I totally would have tolerated it. I mean, everything else I completely would have been okay with because it would have looked pretty decent. Also, the lag. Most people don't even really understand what lag is, let alone understand that this device now has about three frames of lag, which is a lot. It's like double a frame meister. So I highly encourage you, watch that video again, do the same exact things I do, just, you know, split it between a CRT and a flat screen and use the slow-mo mode on your phone, 
Um, you know, for any of the interlace tests, that's super easy. Just scroll and watch what happens when you scroll and stop. Do these tests yourself and post the results somewhere. Um, as much as I, I'm not a social media guy, this is actually the perfect place or the perfect use for Facebook, Reddit, Twitter. Um, it's very you don't need to have a website or a blog or something in order to post these. You could take some uh, pictures of this and upload it somewhere and then just link it. Send it to me. Um, you know if it's relevant to the stuff I'm talking about, I'll absolutely share and talk about it uh, on the podcast or wherever else. But um, you know definitely. Do these things yourself, post your results, and let's all together try to be a voice to get these companies to change it. Because I'm really curious how much it really would have cost to use a different upscaling chip on that Super HD Retron device. I mean, would it have added 10 20 $50 to it to have a low-lag solution that processed the video correctly? I mean, if that was the case, I would use it. I would use it uh, until the um, analog and uh, Super NT came out, and then after that came out, I would use it on a spare TV or something. So, um, yeah, really long rant. Sorry, guys. Didn't mean to go off on a five-minute rant about this, but uh, if somebody wants to send me the old-school classic, I'll run it through the tests. Uh, I'm not going to do a full review. I don't have time, but uh, try to do these yourself if you can because the more people that know how to do a simple lag test and don't just figure it out, uh, the better, because then we could all post our silly little iPhone, you know, slow-mo videos online and send them back to these companies saying, you know, two and a half to three and a half frames of lag is not acceptable. Don't do this shit anymore. One more thing about that Hyperkin SNES clone console review, and I promise this will be way quicker than the last thing. Nick from HD Retrovision was offended that his beloved cables were improperly represented in the video. All kidding aside, um, I hope that I got the point across correctly, and I hope that people didn't misunderstand, but I just wanted to show direct 240p into a flat screen, and if I lived in Europe, I would have just used retro gaming cables, RGB cable, into the SCAR input of a flat screen. But I live in New York, so I'm stuck with only component. No, I had no other choice, so I used theirs because it's the best component solution. Now, in Nick's defense, what I did absolutely show was a mediocre, meh solution. Um, but I, that the purpose of that was just to show that some TVs do a really shit job with 240p signals, even in RGB or component, and other TVs do a great job. And when comparing it to a cheap clone console, it is fair just to give the other side of things. Because I could have very easily gone uh, and used my old Panasonic Plasma and showed the HD retrovisions on that versus the clone console, and it would have destroyed it. For whatever reason, the upscaler in that plasma that's built into it did a phenomenal job with 240p. They actually treated it as if it was 480p and upscaled it properly, so it looked great. But that wasn't at all the purpose. It was generic uh, comparison of a mediocre TV versus the upscaler, uh, the upscaling clone console, sorry. So in that scenario, if your TV is really shit at upscaling 240p, which a lot are, not all, but a lot, then that clone console may or may not have been better depending on, you know, on your thoughts on this. Me personally would always choose no added lag over a little sharpness, but people are different and depends on your scenario. So, uh, all, you know, all kidding aside to Nick, I, I do genuinely hope that that video uh, properly demonstrated that, and I hope nobody else misunderstood it. There were a few other mistakes in the video too, like apparently 
both the TVs I checked um, processed component video 240p correctly, but processed composite 240p as 480i. So I, I had mistakenly thought that the composite output was 480i. Uh, my bad. It didn't actually affect any of the conclusions or any of the tests or even any of the side-by-side -side comparisons. I really should have just, uh, if there was a way to edit YouTube videos, I would cut out that five-second little bit about it. But, you know, and I guess there was another uh, video got corrupted going from the file to YouTube, but it was for that uh, the generic composite solution and, you know, I don't know. Uh, I'm sorry that the uh, that that review wasn't as good as it could have been, but I gotta be honest. I really don't care that much about clone consoles. And as soon as it was three frames of lag and processed video is interlaced, I kind of lost most interest in that anyway. So uh, yeah, all right. I'm all caught up. I'm all caught up with Super Retron HD crap. No more talk about that at all. I promise. Next, a few people mentioned that the Patreon giveaway from last week might actually have included a fanny pack and not a shoulder strap. So, uh, unfortunately, I would have loved for it to be that, but it says right on it, shoulder holster. So it is not a fanny pack. However, um, I really, really wish it was because I used to work with a guy named James who was from the UK who fascinated me when he told me that fanny packs were called bum bags in the UK. So uh, every time we were in public together, and I saw somebody wearing a fanny pack, I would yell at the top of my lungs, Hey, James, there's a bum bag. And, of course, he would get very embarrassed, and no one would know what we are talking about, uh, because no one in America calls it a bum bag. So, uh, yeah, sorry to disappoint you guys. This really is a shoulder holster thingy, and if I ever, for whatever reason, do find uh, a fanny pack, uh, I will totally, or a Game Boy one, a Game Boy, it would have to be officially branded. I would totally wear it at least once down to iFix Arcade on the subway and everything. And if anybody asks what I'm doing, I'm just going to look them dead in the eye and go, it's a Game Boy fanny pack, go fuck yourself. Unless they're English, and then I'd call it a bum bag. Next, Oscar Brownlee asked if I knew of a 480p VHS player so that people with multi-sync monitors might be able to watch their old VHS tapes in 480p. So there's two answers to that question. Um, I used to have one of those combo DVD VHS players. I actually just sold it and it got destroyed in shipping and I lost all the money to it. But that, uh, that did show VHS tapes in 480p and it was not terrible. It's not the best I've ever seen, but at the very least, I felt like it was a little bit better than just going 480i. However, um, over the years, I've talked to a few people about their, uh, their opinions in this, people that are way more knowledgeable than me. And the general consensus is if you really love something that you have on VHS, if it's something very important to you, like a, a family video or a, you know, a movie that was only released on VHS, like the Star Wars holiday special or whatever that thing was from years ago, um, the proper way to do it would be to take a really high-end VCR, like some of the high-end JVC 9800s, just, uh, just sold off one of those too, sorry, um, and take that and use a good capture card to capture it to your computer, and then use software to either deinterlace and upscale to 480p or higher depending, because when you use software to do it, um, it can do a multi-pass thing where it goes back and rescans it, and overall you would most likely end up with a better conversion than things that have to convert it on the fly, like with upscalers. So 
VHS to DVD conversion was one of the first things that I, uh, I got really weirdly into because I had a bunch of very awesome and rare concert bootlegs on tape that I really wanted to digitize forever. And the, the three things that I learned in the process, uh, one is that it's very often that a capture device will interpret tape noise as macrovision. So I'm not going to go off on a macrovision rant, but it's you know video protection so you wouldn't be allowed to copy it. So in order to get around that, um, you could use a time-based corrector, which basically writes, uh, re writes and rewrites the whole signal from analog to digital back to analog, which would clear up any of that. Um, or you could use a capture card that doesn't scan for macrovision. I think I sold that one already. If not, it's up on YouTube. Um, and that's the choice that I made. I took a decent capture card, wasn't the best, and I ran it directly into that. But the, the better option would be to get the best VCR you could get into a time-based corrector, into a really high-end capture card that does uh, S-video. And the last thing, uh, a bunch of people have disagreed with me over the years, but a lot of the higher-end SVHS players um, do absolutely look better than their composite video outputs. Now, VHS tapes aren't, you know, you're not going to get a better signal than what's on the tape, and I believe it's just a composite signal anyway. However, much like my whole video about um, shielded RGB cables, whenever you have composite video signal running with all of the different signals in it and a long cable run, um, you're going to get all the coupling and interference. So on all of the higher-end VCRs, what you actually get is right there on the board, you know, comes off the tape, goes into the chips, and it gets split into Y and C right there. So you never have a cable run of composite video. And that's why I still would use S-Video over composite in those scenarios, because the signal separated, use a really good shielded S-Video cable, of course, um, short cables when possible, and go right from that. Um, that really great VCR I had was a JVC one, JVC 9800 SU. I'll try to find a link uh, to ones that are for sale. Um, you know, go from that with a, a short, really well-shielded S-Video cable to a time-based corrector. There's already one built in, but I'm not going to get into that. Um, and then from that into a really nice capture card that doesn't compress the image or anything. And then run it through software that'll do a multiple-pass scan on that video. Uh, and at the very least, go to 480p. Some might even be able to go higher, depending. But if if there's something that's massively important to you, overall, that's definitely going to be the better way to do it. And even if you end up just doing it to 480p and rewatching it on a multi-sync CRT, it's overall still probably going to look better than just uh, that tape into a VHS player that does the upscaling on the fly. So uh, that was a really long one. Sorry, I, I was trying to make it as simple as possible, but there's so many factors in it. Interlaced progressive, S-Video versus composite, the quality of the VHS player, back revision, stuff is not easy so it certainly makes uh the fact that we've moved away from analog for video definitely makes my life easier for dealing with all of this stuff last week i talked about a fan project to bring sega saturn netlink back online and apparently one of the developers watches this podcast and posted down below in last week's comments which is awesome so glad to have you on board but they said that there are a couple of tutorials online if people want to get games working with the Netlink. So the links are down below, and anybody that's into it, definitely give it a try, because it's very cool that fans are keeping this stuff alive. And lastly, Bag of Clothes 73 posted in the comments last week to talk about 
a SCART to Extron crosspoint project that he's working on. So it's basically a SCART to BNC board with a sync stripper on it with pads for audio so you could solder your own cables to go to the Phoenix connectors into a crosspoint. So it's definitely a good do-it-yourself solution. Um, I believe both uh, the main cable manufacturers sells their own, but some people prefer do-it-yourself projects. Uh, you might save money doing it this way too. And as always, the more options, the better, in my opinion. The more good options, the better. <laughs> so uh, thanks for sharing your project, and um, the link is down below if anybody wants to check it out. Before I go, I just want to remind everybody that I just did an awesome interview with crypto aquatic mating specialist, Jimmy Hoppe. Got that right this time, Jimmy. Uh, all kidding aside, we had a great time. We got drunk together while doing the podcast and talking about Japanese gaming and uh, you know cool tricks on how to find stuff and basically just what it's like to, to deal with the Japanese gaming stuff and where to go. I had an absolute blast doing it, and uh, I highly recommend that uh, if you're into drinking, that you drink along with us. You know, don't drink and drive, but if you're at home and you like drinking anyway, definitely pour yourself a drink or two and uh, listen to the podcast with us because it'll probably flow a little bit better if you're also tipsy. Well, that's it for this week's podcast. I just want to remind everybody, I still have a bunch of those RGB monitors for sale and a few other things on eBay, so please check out the store page on my website. Link is below, of course. Uh, and if you would like any of those monitors, just email me, and please remember that I can't really lift anything. So you're either going to have to show up and lift it yourself or hire a shipping company to come pick it up. So far, the ones that have been sold have been uh, literally and figuratively painless. People just showed up, paid, grabbed the monitors, hung out for a bit, and that was that. So uh, thank you, by the way, to all those people that, that both came down to help out and made it easy on me. So I appreciate that very much. Uh, and the big one, the D32, uh, I've been weaning through the offers on that. There was only a few serious offers. Some people get really, really upset when I wouldn't sell it for a few hundred dollars. I don't know what to tell you, man, but, uh, you know, things are expensive nowadays, but most people were very cool. Uh, and, and most people luckily for me gen genuinely are really cool about these things. But, uh, for the last people that are interested, um, put serious bids in, make sure you know that you're going to have to get a, a shipping company up to pick it up. Uh, and I guess that's it. So now everything's officially up for sale. Whoever wants it gets it. Uh, I guess first come first serve probably the best way to do it. Um, and anybody has any questions, obviously feel free to email me. So that's it. Um, of course I have to, uh, double thank my Patreons. Uh, thank you for sticking around even through all the drama and bullshit. And I'll try to do something fun to make up for Patreons shittiness or, or if you guys decide, uh, and you should choose the poll for me to leave, then I'll bail and find another way to make it fun for all of us. But as always, comments and criticism, please post down below. I'd uh, love to hear from all you guys, and I'll see you next week.